excited today because we have a guest preacher. This is actually a friend of ours who's been at Mill City preaching before, and it's the Reverend Dr. Dennis Edwards, who used to be the senior pastor at Sanctuary Covenant Church. He is now the New Testament professor at North Park Theological Seminary in Chicago, and he wrote an entire commentary on the book of 1 Peter. And that's why we asked him to come continue our conversation as we're going through the New Testament, book by book, throughout 2020. He's going to give the message today on First Peter, which we can't think of a better person to be able to do that. I also want to give a special shout out to a book that he just wrote that just came out called Might from the Margins. Very powerful read. I'm already a few chapters into it. Definitely recommend it to you. But without further ado, let's hear from Pastor Dennis Edwards. Hello, friends. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to share with you. As many of you know, I spent several years, well, six winters to be exact, as the senior pastor of the Sanctuary Covenant Church that meets in North Minneapolis. Pastor Edrin Williams is the current senior pastor. I have a special fondness for Minneapolis and can appreciate some of the unique challenges that you're facing. I mean, how do we represent Jesus well during a pandemic? How do we honor Jesus in the wake of injustices like George Floyd's murder? How do we articulate and practice justice for all of God's creation? What does it mean to be a Christian at a time when the followers of Jesus are so divided, especially here in the USA? There are so many questions, and I commend you for striving to find the answers. And as we try to find the answers to life's persistent questions, let's remember that the journey is as important as the destination. This is to say that how we live as God's people day after day is more important than winning arguments or even electing our favorite candidates. We want God's kingdom to come, God's will to be done on earth, which impacts how we live right now, how we live as disciples, as believers, as followers, as members of God's household, as living stones, in Peter's words. That matters more to God than your ability to recite the correct doctrinal statements. And I believe that the message of 1 Peter addresses how we represent Jesus in a world that does not really know him. In the United States, white Protestant evangelicals have enjoyed a degree of social hegemony, which is to say that they have had a favored status. Experts have made the point that for many people, being Christian and being American mean the same thing, essentially. Their nationality and their religion are the same. They cannot separate their citizenship from their faith. Pledging allegiance to the flag is the same as pledging allegiance to Jesus. You know, I taught for a while at Bethel Seminary there in St. Paul and once had a student exclaim that soldiers who die in combat are martyrs because he was making military service to the nation equal to Christian discipleship. Christian holidays are prominent in our country. I mean, for a long time, people could make Bible references in almost any context outside of church and expect that people would understand the reference. There were so-called blue laws restricting certain activities. In fact, when I arrived in Minnesota, you could not buy alcohol on a Sunday. That's part of the influence that white Christians have had to even impact the economy. And while Christians enjoyed social prominence, right now, many of them are demonstrating considerable discomfort when their views do not take center stage. 
They, they don't know how to act when their way of being Christian is confronted with other notions of what it means to follow Jesus. And that challenge, to a large degree, is coming from people on the margins. So Peter here writes to people who do not have the luxury of being prominent in society. Peter writes to people who are under scrutiny. Peter writes to people whose lives are in a precarious position. Peter's readers are not under official government persecution, but that will happen a few years down the road. But at the time of this letter, Peter's readers are facing hassles and slander and alienation, judgment, and social isolation because of their faith. His readers are suffering. One question that the letter of 1 Peter addresses is how should Christians think and act within a culture that's hostile to them? I'm going to say that again. How should Christians think and act within a culture that's hostile to them? First Peter addresses the lives of Christians who are being alienated by the broader culture. And let's see how Peter opens the letter right at chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in abundance. The first readers of this letter carried the status of alien, stranger, and members of the dispersion or the diaspora, a status that indicated their conflict with non-Christians. These people could not be at home in the world because the world was hostile to them. That's the precarious situation of anyone on the margins. Now, of course, we can't get into all the themes of 1 Peter right now, but I hope to highlight three notions that show up and they are related to each other. And the three notions are alienation, hope in the midst of suffering, and unity. I'll say that again, alienation, hope in the midst of suffering, and unity. As for alienation, First Peter makes the point that some Christian believers are like immigrants throughout time. They are socially disconnected from the dominant culture. They are diaspora people, people disconnected from their real home. Now, scholars have used that term diaspora to describe the situation of displaced people uh, for years. I mean, consider, for example, African-Americans. I have this last name of Edwards, but have no idea how I got it. It's an English name. Now, of course, somewhere along the line, probably some British settler owned uh, my descendant, my forebears. But I don't know. And in fact, uh, people in my situation, we're named for the entire continent. We're called African-American, the whole continent, because we don't really know what country our people are from, unlike people who could say Irish-American or Swedish-American or Norwegian-American. Well, First Peter's readers may not have all been literally displaced people, but the experiences of displaced people describe what it means to be a Christian in the world. Diaspora is alienation. Diaspora is a fragile social situation. Listen to how the theologian Willie Jennings describes diaspora. He does this in his commentary on the book of Acts. Diaspora means scattering and fragmentation, exile and loss. It means being displaced and in search of a place that could be made home Danger and threat surround diaspora life. 
The peoples who inhabit diaspora live with animus and violence filling the air they breathe. They live always on the verge of being classified enemy, always an evaluation of their productivity to the empire, always having an acceptance on loan, ready to be taken away at the first sign of sedition. They live with fear as an ever-present partner in their lives, the fear of being turned into a them, a dangerous other, those people among us. If you want to understand what it means to live for Jesus in a world that does not understand you or appreciate your faith or your way of life, don't look to the dominant culture. Don't look to the powerful. Don't look to those with social status. If you want to see Jesus, look to those on the margins. Diaspora Christians who have no or limited social status best exemplify the faith of Jesus who was himself a marginalized Jew. So I've noted that one theme of 1 Peter is that of alienation. And as members of the dispersion or the diaspora, Peter's readers are vulnerable. And that leads right into another theme of 1 Peter, hope in the midst of suffering. Let's read a bit more of Chapter 1, I'm going to start at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that, though perishable, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy, for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Starting in verse 3, Peter says that with, it, with the new birth, we have a living hope, which is to say that we don't wish for some imaginary pie in the sky. We, we wait with confidence for what God has in store. And what God has in store is our inheritance. Now, some people inherit houses and money or some other possession, and that's all good. But Peter says that our inheritance isn't like those temporal things. Our inheritance cannot be destroyed in any way. And furthermore, our inheritance is part of our salvation. Salvation is something that becomes complete in the future. After Jesus comes back and wraps up history as we know it, then our salvation will be complete. In the meantime, we may have to face trials. Your faith gets stronger through trials. You know, it's like they say, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Our faith is shown to be real when it gets tested. And Peter uses the imagery of the refiner's fire. Back in Peter's time, the most valuable metal was gold, and enslaved people would dig gold out of the mines, but gold was attached to other minerals. To get pure gold, you had to turn up the heat so that the impurities could be separated from the pure gold. Sisters and brothers, our trials and struggles are like the heat of the refinery. Our impurities can get burned off. 
and our faith can be purified. Peter says our faith is more precious than gold. The story of black people in America is one of faith forged through the fires of suffering. But black history is not just about looking back at the hard times. It's about realizing that black people are among the most remarkable people in the world. I mean, Africa had been ravaged by imperialism, but it rises like a phoenix from the ashes. And black people of the diaspora have faced legal discrimination, hatred, marginalization, abuse, homicide, all manner of attempts to destroy us. But still we rise. Our faith has sustained us. Our faith is more than superficial church attendance. Our faith has been rooted in a reality that Jesus knows us, is with us, has given us new life, new hope, and an inheritance that can never fade away. Amen. Learn what hope through suffering is by looking at the African-American Christian tradition. So I mentioned alienation. I mentioned hope in the midst of suffering. And my last point is Peter's emphasis on unity. I mean, let's look now at chapter 2, starting at verse 4. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, see, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you, then, who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Alienated people who find hope in the midst of suffering, also strive to create a new community. Peter says in this passage that God's people are living stones. In my last three years at the Sanctuary Covenant Church, we made the commitment to stop renting space in schools and to find a place that could be a resource to our neighborhood as well as a place for us to gather. And the congregation heard me say many times over the years that even though we put time and energy and money into getting a building, it wasn't because we believe the building is the church. We, the people, are the church. This pandemic has reminded us of what true Christians should know. The church is not the building. However, this pandemic has also demonstrated how a building is a very important part of our ability to do ministry. A building can be vitally necessary to living out our calling as the people of God. So I don't want to minimize how significant a church building is. But at the same time, I want to emphasize what we might miss. We, together, are God's house. Together, we represent Jesus to this world in the building and also outside the building. 
The spiritual house is the place where God dwells, like the temple was in Old Testament times. And believers are not on the outside looking into the house, but we are the very stones that make up the house. We are the house of God. God dwells among us. Jesus is the cornerstone, the very foundation of this house. And as living stones, we share in the ministry of the living stone. Jesus was rejected by humanity, but was chosen by God and is precious to God. We are also chosen and precious to God. Humanity in general might reject us, but we are precious to God. All who believe in Jesus will never be put to shame. The one who believes need never fear facing humiliation in judgment. What good news for people who are being constantly humiliated by all of those around them. And Maybe some of you <laughs> experience uh, the same weird tension that I do, or at least I did before the pandemic. When I would meet a new person often, you know, like say when I'm on an airplane, and the person next to me is chatty, <laughs> I eventually get asked, well, what do you do? And the tension is that I didn't always want to say I'm a pastor, because that was a surefire way to watch that person's facial expression change, and sometimes to put an end to the conversation, which isn't so bad if I wanted to take a nap. <laughs> but identifying oneself as a Christian, well, it's kind of tricky these days. I mean, it's like the word evangelical. It's politically loaded. And some Christians don't like the word disciple because it just sounds so religious. And even the word Christian can stir up negative reactions in people because instead of remembering all the good things that Christians have done throughout the centuries, modern people often picture us as being self-righteous, hypocritical, anti-education, bigoted, politically narrow, and even stingy, and I could go on. As living stones built on Jesus, the foundation stone, we should represent him in the world. And we would not call Jesus self-righteous or hypocritical, would we? I don't think we would call him wishy-washy. My point is that we learn to be more like Jesus. And as a spiritual house, we will be better representatives of Jesus. We are God's house and representing him to the world, and we are a safe haven for people who need to be loved. We shed light on those who are in darkness. We bring truth to those who have been deceived. We bring healing to those who have been damaged in body and spirit. We bring good news to those who have been beat down, demoralized, ostracized, minimized, marginalized, and demonized. We show people that it is worth it to put their trust in Jesus. And as Peter says, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Amen. When we had the Sanctuary Covenant Church's new building dedicated, one of the speakers talked to us about our corporate identity. He was the only speaker, actually, who discussed the building itself and connected it to our identity. He then, for, for a few reasons, he took us to this very passage in 1 Peter, and he used the old King James Version on purpose because he wanted to highlight the word peculiar. The NIV uses the phrase God's special possession. Uh, the NRSV simply says God's own people. But the King James says peculiar people. Now, to contemporary ears, the word peculiar may trigger synonyms such as bizarre, eccentric, and odd. And that may be how 
unbelievers view the Christian community. And certainly that was the case in Peter's time. But perhaps even today, we could still use that old King James word peculiar and think of other synonyms to apply to ourselves, such as curious, exceptional, extraordinary, remarkable, or mysterious. See, because these words suggest that God's people are an intriguing group that lives in such a good way that we invite the interest of onlookers. There are other words here, chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation. I mean, these words indicate how special we are to God and that we represent him as priest to the world. We are holy and that we are set apart because of our devotion to God. So think about that for a minute. Think about how we represent God in the world. Do you think it's through our politics? Is it through our money? Is it through our social status? Peter's people represented Jesus to the world by having no special status. They witnessed for Jesus while on the margins. They witnessed for Jesus through suffering. So Peter's first letter here shows us that together as living stones, we represent Jesus to the world and we do it like he did in humility with the power and direction of the Holy Spirit and as a demonstration of God's love for the world. How will we show God's love and communicate God's truth to our community? That's always one of the questions that I hope you can work on together. In America, church has become a spectator sport, and most people just watch. And I don't just mean during the pandemic. People want the music to entertain us, the preacher to put on a show, the children's department to keep our kids stimulated and do the teaching we don't have the time or energy to do. We leave the show, and we go on living the same way as we entered. And if we don't like the show, we move on to a church that has a better show. I mean, the people that the Apostle Peter wrote to probably could not understand America's consumer attitude toward church. So I want to challenge you to get involved in your church. Volunteer energy in church is not busy work. It is ministry that communicates the reality of Jesus to those in the church as well as those watching from the outside. Every ministry team in your church needs you to be involved. We need each other in our churches because together we represent Jesus to our community, not just the pastor, not just the building, all of us together energized by the Holy Spirit and fortified by God's word. We demonstrate to the world that God is real. So I wish blessings on you, peculiar people. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks because you're good and your mercies endure forever. I thank you, Lord God, for the Apostle Peter and his journey with you and, and how we get glimpses of that in the gospel stories. And then we thank you, Lord, for the words that he passed along to these believers. We don't know them by name. We, we don't know that much about them except they were in a difficult situation. And Peter wrote these words to strengthen, encourage them, and to leave them as a model for us to follow. And Lord, I pray that we would not miss the power that comes from those who have been on the margins, yet they hold on tenaciously to you. Lord, help us to learn the might that comes from the margins, the power that comes from those who are weak in the eyes of the world. 
and help us to live by faith like these folks did. We pray with thanksgiving in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you.